This morning we're going to have a sweet time, and I'm going to, I want to tell you right now that probably at least once a year, I'm going to come back to these core and fundamental principles that we find in this message today. It's so easy for us to think that we need to perform to somehow please God with our life, but we are not on a performance treadmill at all. God's grace is powerful, and God's grace transcends anything that we can try to muster in our strength. My untold story is a story that doesn't fit nicely into a Sunday testimony. For a lot of years, I thought that the part of my story that I needed to leave out was that just a few weeks after I had got transformed by the power of God, I had a horrible face plant. And I found myself on the wrong side of the tracks in a central Californian city, really hurting as a young man, aching as a matter of fact. And it didn't seem to fit into kind of the, the narrative of the day because I thought that when we're free in Christ, things are supposed to be going okay. But because of that, I felt myself straining to try to pick up myself, to try to make myself better, not realizing that God's grace is not only for saving me, but also for training me as we're going to look at today. A lot of you have untold stories as well. And if I were to ask you, what do you struggle with that you've been trying to work out in your own strength, you could cite a lot of different things, a lot of different frustrations that you have in your life. But God wants to change you from the inside out, and he has the power to do it completely. I've said this before, and I'm going to say it again. We're all in recovery. I love recovery ministries. But recovery ministries can be, really be a misnomer in that we think that somehow there's a group of people that are in recovery, and that's a group of maybe 10, 20% of the church family, and the rest of us, we're not in recovery. But here's what I know to be true. I don't care who it is in this room today or watching online, we are all in recovery, meaning no one has arrived. Now that's incredibly freeing because it frees us from this false notion that we somehow have to have it all together and it's got to be held together in our strength. God wants to free us from that. But I want you to imagine with me, if you would, you are partnering with God and experiencing his power. I mean really his power. That your mind is being renewed and freed from destructive thinking. That you're finally putting to death those sins that have been killing you. That you have quality people around you who help you live the abundant life. That you now live in a way that puts your faith in motion and gives you energy for your life. That your direction for your life is absolutely clear. You're focused on your unique calling and design that God's given you. And that you're making the best use of your time and you're impacting the world around you. God wants that for you. He wants that for me. But we find ourselves bootstrapping our faith, striving to live in our own strength and to impress people or find approval from God. This is one malady that is across the land of the United States of America in particular. And the reason that it is, is that we find ourselves struggling to reconcile the failings in our life with the power of the empty tomb. We don't see how those things come together. How can the risen Jesus, who's overcome sin and death and broken us free from bondage to sin, how can we find ourselves so racked with pain in our own failings? There's a great author who's co-written a book, and in the very lead part of it, the book's name is called The Cure, by the way, one of the best books ever written. Their equation for average, everyday Christianity is this. More right behavior plus less wrong behavior equals godliness. How many of you felt like that? If I can have more right behavior and less wrong behavior, I'm going to be godly. Well, Dr. Bruce McNichol is the co-author of The Cure. He has degrees in finance law, theology, leadership, and organizational development. Bruce has co-authored the bestsellers, The Cure, The Ascent of a Leader, Bose Cafe, Behind the Mask, The Kingdom Life, and High Trust Cultures, Building High Trust Cultures. I want you, if you would right now, to welcome Dr. Bruce McNichol, who's going to show up on the screen. Hello, my man. Do we have him here? Hello, Bruce. 
Do we have Bruce? Cheer for Bruce, everybody. All right. We've got him. Hey, Bruce, good to have you with us today. And uh, I know you are in a warmer climate. He's in, come to us today from Arizona. It's a joy to have you along here, buddy. I got a few questions for you. Got a little echo in here. We're going to get that all cleaned up. Get is my phone muted? Yes, it is. It's turned down all the way. All right, we got Bruce McNichol now. We got it squared away, guys. Give him a hand. Welcome, Bruce McNichol. Thank you. Thank you. I love this guy. He is a phenomenal man of God, a great author, and I've got a series of questions for you here. One of the things that we're trying to do, Bruce, is communicate to folks not only the power of Christ to save, but him, his power to sanctify, which is a fancy word for growing up. But let's start at the beginning. When did God call you out of darkness and into the light, and what did you experience? I don't think I've ever heard this part of your story. Go ahead, my man. Yeah, I think uh, I'm still getting pulled out of the darkness into the light. Right on. Uh, it's uh, something that happened in my 20s, a series of uh, unfortunate events, uh, tough events, in my life, I was in business uh, at that time in the Northwestern United States, and uh, I decided to take a, a theology class or two while I was doing business, and uh, I took one, um, and one day I was going to my Greek class, and my professor didn't show up. And I realized uh, later in the day, as I heard the news, that he had taken his life and uh, had uh, committed suicide due to some traumas in his life. That was uh, excruciating, because uh, I really appreciated him, looked up to him. And uh, then uh, just a few months later, I was uh, partnering with a, a pastor uh, of a flagship church in the area. We were doing some work with dozens of churches to help those caught in cycles of poverty. And one day, uh, I did not hear from him and learned later that uh, he had left his wife for uh, another woman. And uh, that, again, was very shocking to me as a friend. I never saw him again either. Um, and then I'll just give you one more. There's lots of stories that God used to shake me a bit in my 20s. Um, on the side, I was leading a singles group. and. Um, Richard Foster had given us a privilege of writing the study guide to his uh, old book now, Celebration of Discipline. And so we were writing uh, this study guide when one of the young ladies who was in the leadership team uh, said to me, she said, you know, Bruce, uh, you've been putting us through this uh, spiritual boot camp, and uh, I'm sure that these practices are good for us, but it's, it's kind of like a sin management time, and uh, she said, uh, she said, that's an oxymoron. Sin will not be managed, and we're trying to do it, and it's not working, if I can say this kindly, she said, it's not working for you either. And uh, I realized, oh, you, you are right, and I need to start figuring out how moralistically I have been living this Christian life and why it's not working, and try to understand how to take the moralistic lens off of scripture that I had put on there for a long time in, in my teens and 20s. Bruce, Jesus says, many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, I hadn't planned on going here, but I think we need to for a moment. This moralistic thing, how pervasive it in the church is it today for people that come to church, jump through a lot of hoops, but they've never met Jesus really personally yet? Yeah, I think uh, this goes to the core of the relationship with Jesus, to know that uh, this whole thing is based on trust. It's not based on performance. We just uh, returned this last week from Indonesia, and we were with Christian leaders who came out of Hinduism, Buddhism, Confucianism, uh, syncretism, all these things. And somehow, uh, because their lives are at risk every day, they seem to understand that this thing is not a performance-driven religion, it can only be in trust. And so if, if I am going to know God, I'm going to have to learn to trust 
it only transforms when it's trusted i think that's why millions of people know about the love of god but they don't know the god of love because they don't trust him and transform until they they get that chance to depend fully on him i know that you've said it about to really dispel the myth of performance christianity which is no christianity at all why is performance christianity so fruitless and destructive just at its bottom line bruce yes uh performance christianity at least it did in my life and i've served it in other lives uh, leads to hiddenness and to use a, a a metaphor that fruit flies are familiar with hiddenness Christianity is the petri dish sin. It's where all these things can flourish out of the gunk of our lives and permit us to uh, to be able to live in the light, uh, to, to enjoy this life. He lives in the light. He wants us to live in the light. And if we do that, we'll realize that performance Christianity was not getting us anywhere in the first place. And uh, I think, you know, one of the things that so destructive is it leads to a disintegrated life. So if I'm not who you think I am, at least I try to pretend that I am. And now I'm two people. Shakespeare says, uh, God's given you one face and you made yourselves another. Yeah. Yeah. That leads to all kinds of sadness in our lives, uh, including that disintegration and including not being loved, which is um, just a, a huge problem today in our lives. Are living isolated and lonely. Uh, it's not just the uh, Gen Z, the Zoomers. You know, it's uh, that's their number one thing. I'm isolated. I'm lonely. Just them. It's us as well. And this is one of the destructive things of performance Christianity. Grace is a word that is thrown around a lot. And if you pass a I think if you pass a test in Dr. Jim Coakley's class or any kind of a seminary, it would be called unmerited favor. But how does grace, real grace, impact our relationship with God and others? Just unpack that for a second, Bruce. Yeah, grace is a, is a massive theme. I, I tend to think it's God's best, most profound gift to us because it's how we get to meet him. We're saved by grace through faith and trust. And it's how we get to live with him. It's uh, spoken of almost 140 times in the New Testament. And I, uh, I guess one of my favorite places uh, to go to uh, with grace is Hebrews 4, where on offer, God says, come on into my room of grace, and uh, you can talk to me courageously, boldly, uh, depending on the translation. You can, you can talk to me anytime about your needs, so you can have mercy and find grace to help you in your time of need, which is like 24-7. We're always in need of this powerful grace. And so grace is just a, a huge uh, concept in, in the scriptures, and it wasn't invented to address sin. It was, it was part of God's uh, life together, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, before creation ever took place. Now, grace will deal with sin, and it will allow me to not, as a Christian, have to define myself by the sin done to me or by the sin that I do. But grace allows me to describe myself the way God describes me. And he defines me as a saint who, yes, sins, but a saint. Uh, Christians are always called saints in the New Testament. Even when Paul said he's chief of sinners, he was talking about his life before Christ. That's one of the great gifts of God's grace to us. I, I love it. Uh, uh, sometimes we say, what if there was a place, you know, so safe that the worst of me could be known with all my addictions and such, and I discover I'd be loved more, not less. Well, welcome to the room of grace. This is where God lives, and this is where he wants us to live and love each other and lead with each other in that kind of room of grace where the truth can flow. And uh, where grace is, not, is a safe place, but it, it's not a soft place. Grace is the place where the truth can really flow about how I'm doing, how you're doing, how we're doing together, and it can really transform us. One of the big challenges, Bruce, and I know you get this, 
and I put it in a question form. How do we become people who live without masks? The first time I encountered you and your compadres' teachings, I was like blown away because you, you proposed that we walk around oftentimes in church culture with masks on. How do we become people who live without masks in an age when pretending and shallowness is the norm? Yes. Well, as, as you know, we all know, pain is really helpful <laughs> in this journey. And uh, if I hadn't experienced so much pain in my 20s, I don't know that I, had, I would have come to the concept of humility that's not just a virtue you put on a shelf, but humility that is trusting God and other people with me. And that kind of trust, trusting God and others with me, uh, leads me to a vulnerability in life, which is not like transparency. Uh, you know, if I, if I uh, live with uh, somebody or I work with them every day, they're gonna, they're gonna see the cracks in my life, whether I want them to or not. That's transparency. Vulnerability is inviting others that I can trust to help me fill those cracks. And that's a whole different world. That's the world that unmasks us and helps us live authentically and powerfully with each other. There's a lot of people listening to you right now, Bruce, that want to live that authentically and are not just seen but are known. What do you do when you try to live without a mask but it backfires on you? Yeah, well, I, I think that's, that's a really good question because a lot of times we want to trust people who are perfect. Uh, then we know it won't backfire on us. Uh, but of course, you have to die first for that to happen. And so the alternative when it backfires is to remember there is no other way. This, this way of trusting God and others with me is the only way to live the gospel. And it will bear fruit. It will also be messy. <laughs> it, it, it will be cumbersome and awkward, and it will be powerful, so much more powerful. And, uh, you know, I, I, there's uh, so many so many illustrations in my life, but we, we've used this in our parenting, for instance. And uh, all the time, we've given our children invitations to help us fill the cracks that they already saw, whether we wanted them to or not. And uh, so I'll just say this last thing here. When our, when our uh, oldest, Nicole, uh, was 14, she was coming out of her bedroom uh, into the kitchen. I was going the other way. She'd been working for us at, at True Face part-time. And she said, you know, Dad, you give me invitation access to your life. And I just wanted to say that when you get really tired, you don't yell at people. And that's a good thing. But she said, you can ramp up and power up on them. And that can hurt people. And so there's just awkward silence. And then she says, as a ninth grader, and I was just wondering what we should do about that. <laughs> I said, wow, that's, that's great. I said, well, yeah, when does that happen? She said, well, that's the problem. It's when you're with people. <laughs> she said, but you know, maybe I could just have a, like an inaudible sound or I could give you a hand gesture. And I just said, well, just make sure it's the right finger. You know, just be careful. <laughs> is learning to defer, to submit to her strength so she can protect, not excuse, my weakness. Because grace is a soft, safe place, but not a soft place. And that is changing me. That is transforming me by the power of God's spirit in community, in relationship. Very powerful to me. Dr. Bruce McNichol, you know what? We had... I'm gonna call an audible here. We actually have the ability to put up this Jahari window up on our screen, and I want you to speak to this. I think you'll see it there, Doc. Let's go ahead and pop up that Jahari window. I'm gonna let you speak to this. You're on a roll here this morning, and I think the Lord has something to say. Would you speak to this image that yeah. the folks are seeing right now? I think uh, for time's sake, I would just focus on the top right window, which is where we are blind to our own uh, idiosyncrasies and quirks and temperament and character flaws where we're blind and then the bottom left is where we're not so blind but we're hiding and in either case we are disintegrating our lives and the more that we can learn 
Ask the question, how am I affecting you? How do you experience me? Would you help me actually not fix me, but stand with me and help me know when I am, am being annoying, being irritating, or at risk of crashing, at risk of going down a wrong road that I don't see, but because you know me, and because I trust you, I give you influence in my life. That will grow our integrity in both that top right pane of the window and the bottom left pane of the window. And that is where Jesus wants to take us because he knows I cannot get healthy on my own. I cannot get well on my own. Well, how is that supposed to work then? Well, I think it works through vulnerability, which expresses that humility, which by the way, First Peter says, that attracts God's grace. And then all the bets are off as to where he's going to take you. It's, it's a beautiful, beautiful story. Doc, I asked you for 10 minutes. You gave us 20, and we could sit here for 20 more. Give Dr. McNichol a big hand. Thank you, my man. Thank you. Thank you. This is a huge topic. And there's so many of you here today that want to be found out, but you're scared to death. You want to be encouraged, but you don't know who to tell. And in just a few minutes, with a couple of keen illustrations, a couple of them you've heard before, I want to illustrate it for us. I've just got a few minutes here. Would you pray with me? Bow your heads right now. All over here. Just pray. Father, thank you. Thank you that you are the God of grace, you're the God of mercy, that you're moving here today. We thank you, Lord, that you, although you fully know us, you do not reject us. Help us to know that and to live that with others. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. This morning, I want to talk with you just for a few moments here, and I'm going to, I'm going to cut a few things short, but I'm going to get, keep the meat of it, about performance deception. And I want to give you the bottom line great deception this morning, that somehow my standing with God and people, I would add, is weighted by how I perform. This is incredibly dangerous, and it flies in the face of Scripture. And a lot of us here feel today like I will only be accepted if I perform well. The church that's going to have impact in this world today that is cloistered in these buildings all around us is a church that is willing to be known by God and others. There's a book written by Putnam in 2001, a great sociologist titled Bowling Alone. And it was written 21 years ago about the malady then in our nation that we were a nation suffering from isolation. The church cannot be this kind of people. We need to be able to look out at one another and look into a heart, hear what's in that heart, be able to receive that without using that as a tool to stab them in the back with later, love them as they are, knowing that they will likewise love us as we are. The only way for us to be free from insecurity, shame, addiction, all kinds of pain from the past, the ravaging words of a reckless father, an abusive father or mother, is that we are known. It's an amazing thing to be saved by the grace of God, but it's multiplied many times over when we are known by those that have been graced by God. And we live in a church today that is too alone. We're too isolated. We don't know. And we need to be known. And so we've received the grace of God for salvation, but left it on the table for sanctification, a grave error. In Titus chapter 2, verses 11 through 12, look at this. Look at these words. 
for the grace of God, meaning his power to do in us what we can't do in ourselves, has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, no period, comma, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. God's power is what does it. And here's the problem. We live in a Christian world today, and yes, I am coming after the church, capital C, especially here stateside, because we have, we have developed a mentality that talks about the grace and power of God, but we often don't afford it to each other to grow in that grace and power. So we believe Jesus for salvation, that his grace is enough to pull me up to lift my heart, to change me. And we've sent a message out, maybe even our own testimony sometimes themselves, but I'm grateful for the honesty and the vulnerability that we hear here. But I was saved by the grace of God. God pulled, rolled up $100 bills and nosebleeds with cocaine just raging into my nostrils to try to fill that void in my heart. He saved me from that in 1984. And then I have this face plant three weeks into my journey with Jesus. And you know what everything I had been programmed to learn as a kid growing up in church is that I could tell about the story of Jesus saving me from cocaine, but I can't tell the story about me doing a face plant three weeks later. I'm so grateful for an uncle who was saved by the powerful grace of God who huddled around me when I was on my knees beside the bed that I was living at at his home when I had stumbled in from that horrid face plant and now knelt beside the bed and he word the words come out of my mouth, God, you saved me, now kill me. And by grace, he put his arm around me and he said, we're going to do this together, Carl. Come on, let's go. Your salvation and sanctification rest in God's power alone. Only God can change you. It's God who saves you and it's God who changes you. All of this bootstrapping self-help, self-will, I've got to change. We've got to fully renounce this garbage today. was sitting in the living room with my parents. I was 14 years old. And I could hardly believe my ears. My dad was speaking. He said, Carl, your mom and I have talked. And we've decided, young man, we're going to let you build a little small dog team kennel. We've got a couple acres of land here. We've got some area for you to stake them out. We know that you've got a heart to have a little dog team, and we're going to let you have a dog team. Now, Dad didn't know that team would grow to a 50-dog kennel one day. But he let me have that dog team, and so the first thing I did was I went down to the dog pound, death row for dogs. And as I walked to that dog pound, I walked down the middle aisle of these chain-link little cubbies and as I'm walking down this middle aisle I'm looking left and looking right and I'm seeing these dogs and they're all saying to me take me home man take me home but I got about halfway down and I look left and I see this beautiful little husky but she was malnourished and hurting and kind of shy and she was sitting at the back of the cage and I said come here do you have a name and I look up there says no name and I said come here come here and she came over to me and she began to lick my hand and worked her way right into my heart and I said dad this girl right here this is my first dog in my team he said what are you going to name her I said target he said that's her name I said, yeah, I don't know why. I feel like she's my target kind of, this is the kind of, this, I'm going to name her Target. I saved Target that day. I not only saved Target, I began to train her. She was a funny girl in that she had such a close bond with me, it was almost 
It was almost hard to train her because she was just loved me. She loved hanging out with me. She loved being with me. She was, she was my girl. I got a harness on her. I put a little plastic sled on a tug line behind her, and I would run in front of her, and I'd say, come on, Target, come on. And she'd be running around going, I think I was born for this. I think I was born for this. And she'd be running along behind me, and I'd run as fast as I could go. And then the day came when my friend said, you want to put Target into a real dog team? I said, yeah, she's red. I'd put some weight on her. She was muscled up a little bit. We went up outside of Anchorage to a little place called Flat Top, overlooking the city of Anchorage, unloaded the dogs out of the dog carrier, loaded them into the team. The dogs are yelping and screaming and lunging at the tongue lines. And I've got Target there in the middle of the team. And we are ready to go. And he pulls the snow hook, and I'm sitting in the sled basket. He pulls that emergency brake, and he goes, hike! And the team took off, and Target just sat right down on a rump. Boom! The whole team is running like crazy, and she's getting snow road rash. She'd look it over her shoulder like, is this what I'm born to do? We stopped the team. I'd go up there. I'd pet her up. Target, target, you're, just, you're, you're made to run, girl. We've been working on this. I'm a little bit embarrassed. I said, I promise she's a good puller. And he said, well, let's give her another chance. I said, Target, you ready to go, girl? And she's yelping and jumping in harness. And he pulls that snow hook, and the dogs take off, and Target goes right on her keister again. (laughs) Snow's flying out from both sides of each booty cheek from her. I'm like, wow, this isn't going to work at all. We stop the sled. He puts the snow hook in. He says, Carl, this dog, like, really loves you. And as long as you're behind her, we're going to have a problem. Now, the only way she's going to learn to pull in a team is you got to run down the trail. See that stand of trees down there? You run down the trail, and you go hide behind that stand of trees. When we mush by, you sneak out, jump on the sled runners with me. He pulls that snow hook, and I'm looking from down the trail, and I'm looking back, and here they go. And Target, man, she's like, Carl's up there somewhere. Carl's up there somewhere. She's pulling like no other husky in that team. There's snow flying off of her pads, man. She's just flying. They come around the corner. I'm hiding behind the spruce trees. Gets by. I jump out onto the trail. I'm sprinting all I can. I jump up on the runners. He goes, We quietly went down the trail. About a mile later, Target's going, Something's up. She turns around and looks and sees me and goes, boom, sits right down in the snow. (laughs) You know, I went on to train that girl, and I worked with her. She was never strong enough to be in the wheel position, which is right in front of the sled. She was never smart enough to be a lead dog, but I could put her just right in front of the wheel dogs, and I wanted to keep her close to me because she was my first dog, little target. She was an amazing girl. Soon she learned that she could run with me behind her on the runners. But if ever fell off the sled, she was the one that I would yell out to, Target, and she'd sit down. We're going to stop and wait for Carl, guys. She was an awesome girl. You know, I trained her and I trained her, and the years went by, and it came time for the Iditarod Trail Race, and I'd been training two different teams of 15 dogs, and the way it worked is I would take out a team of 15 dogs and bring back that team, and then I'd take out another team, and I was, I was sometimes out on the trail from like 10 a.m. until 8 p.m., and then I'd come home, cook a hot meal for the whole team, and then do that again the next day. That was about a two-year routine for me. It was an incredible experience to watch this girl along with her teammates just learn to grow and run. And I trained her, and I trained her, and I trained her, and she became an incredible competitor. I didn't know if she'd make the Iditarod team, but I had a soft place in my heart for her. And when it came time for final cuts, she made about 12th out of 13 dogs. But I put her in the team. She could run like you couldn't imagine. Because I had saved her and because I trained her, she was an incredibly capable girl. See, she didn't just trust me to get her out of that kennel. She trusted me with her life. 
She trusted me to feed her, to care for her, to put booties on her feet, to make sure that her dude claws were clipped, to make certain that all the things that she needed to be in good shape, I cared for. See, there's a lot of us here today that have believed God to get you off death row. But are you letting the God who pulled you out of death row work in your life right now? Are you letting him train you? What does it look like to be trained? I have a classic story here that I'm going to Lord willing, tell more than once or twice a year, maybe three, four times. And before the scripture pops up, I need you to hear me. When Jesus is on the way to the cross and he's speaking to his disciples, have keen ears to hear what Jesus is saying. So he walked into a vineyard and he grabbed a, a fistful of grape leaves and he picked those things up. I can see it happening. And he said, gentlemen, this is your life. And these are the words that he said. Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. Apart from me, you can do. Say it with me. Apart from me, you can do. That's grace. By this, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. But you can't have it unless Jesus Christ is absolutely at work in your life. Josh, I need you on the stage right now. Come on. Caleb, I need you on the stage right now. I'm going to try to illustrate this in a way that I, I'm going to at least do this once a year and, and never forget. I'm going to put you right here. Caleb, in this illustration, you're going to be Jesus. I'll get you out of that role as soon as we can or your wife will insist upon it. All right, so you're going to be Jesus. Now, Jesus said, I'm the vine. Josh, come on over, man. You're a branch. Jesus said, I'm the vine. You're the branch. If you abide in me, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do? Apart from me, you can do? Nothing. There is no fruit bearing apart from Jesus. Were the disciples aware of the grace that could save them? Yes. But this is the grace that's going to change them forever. Jesus said, I'm the vine, you're the branch, you abide in me, and you will bear fruit. We're going to call this fruit. You know what we've done? And this is a tough one to say, but i got to tell you right now. In American Christianity, we have focused on performing for Jesus rather than having proximity to Jesus. And every time we focus on performing for Jesus and trying to produce fruit, this never works. The best you can have is fake fruit. I need to love, I should love, I gotta have peace, I gotta have joy. And you know what it feels like? To those that are closest to you, it looks like that cheap, fake fruit that your mom had as a centerpiece on that table. Now here's the alternative plan. Because we can focus on proximity or we can focus on performance, but we can't do both. Jesus said, I'm the vine, you're the branch, you abide in me. Abiding is talking with God, listening to God. Can we have a conversation with Jesus? You bet you we can. Let me just remind you quickly that a lot of us have a relationship with God. We're so focused on producing our own fruit out here that we'll shoot up prayers to God, but we're, we're just talking at God. We're just talking at him. 
One of the best things I ever learned as a commercial fisherman that applies spiritually today is I remember when we were lost in the fog. I told you about this recently. And my captain keyed the mic and he said, Hi, spirits. Gene M. here. We can't find you. We're in the fog. Our Lorancy coordinates are down. And then you know what he did? He let go of the mic. He keyed it again. Hi, spirits. This is Gene M. We're stuck out in the fog. We got to make market. We got 20,000 pounds of red salmon on board. Where are you, high spirits? Let go. High spirits said, Gene M., this is high spirits. Let me guide you in. You know what we've done in the world today? You know what we do? We call out to God, God, I, I need this, I need this, I need this. No, God says, you abide in me. You talk with me and you unkey the mic. Abiding with Jesus is not only speaking to God, it's hearing his voice. And someone asked me at a seminar I was teaching at yesterday morning, they said, how do you know you're hearing from God? I'm going to tell you the answer to that right now. I've never been asked that before. This is why we need the word of God irrigating our heart. As I'm getting prompted by God on the Kennedy Expressway coming in and there's a guy being a knucklehead, I'm getting prompted by scripture. Don't repay evil for evil. Don't, I mean, literally things like that. God prompts his word to me and he speaks. If you're gonna lick your finger and think you're gonna hear from God, you're not. Irrigate your mind with the word of God and then when you need to hear from the spirit of God, you will have communication. A person that is wordless is a person that is gonna have a voiceless God. That's reason enough to hear the word. Jesus said, I'm the vine, you're the branch, you abide in me. You will bear much fruit. And here's the amazing thing. Josh represents all of us here, a branch. And we've got a choice today. But here's the choice that I implore you to take, and that is to cultivate this point of relationship with Jesus, proximity to Jesus. Time in the Word of God, time in prayer with Jesus. Being filled by the power of the Holy Spirit. Someone asked me this yesterday as well. They said, well, when were you filled by the Holy Spirit? I said, when I was born again. But I want to tell you this. Not only was I sealed with the Holy Spirit, some people have asked me, have you ever been filled with the Holy Spirit? Do you want to know my answer? I hope so. I hope I'm filled 40 times today. Because the Apostle Paul said, be filled with the Holy Spirit, and you are filled with the Holy Spirit as you have proximity with Jesus Christ because he left behind the Comforter, the Holy Spirit. And it is to our advantage that Jesus go so that he will leave this with you. And then as we have proximity with Jesus and Josh, just look at that point, that point right there. As we're focused on our relationship with Jesus, not just during quiet time, but all the time, then all of a sudden, we're not focused there, but we glance over and we go, well, shazam. Looky there. There's real fruit being born in my life. Give these guys a hand. Good job, guys. And here's the point. Spiritual fruit is the result, hear me now, this is important. Spiritual fruit is the result of your proximity to Jesus and never your performance for Jesus. Ever. All the rest is fake fruit. This is so important. So I want to give you just a few quick things in as turning points this morning. Turning points. Getting freed from this performance deception. First turning point is this. Resolve that you will quit trying to perform for God and people. Put a stake in the ground. Today, this morning. No longer am I going to be the man. No longer do I have to be the woman. Today, I'm putting a stake in the ground. I am not here to perform for anyone. 
Christ in me is the hope of glory. I died and my life is now hidden with Christ. We can set our hearts and minds on things above because we died and our life is now hidden with Christ in God. We are new creations. The old is gone, the new has come. Everything's different. Turning point number two. Practice the presence of God or make your whole day a quiet time. Let me explain this. I had a good friend named Bill Smith. He wrote a little pamphlet called Quiet Time. He's died now and gone on to his reward. He was rabid about this thing, making sure people are getting into the Word of God. And a quiet time is great. You're alone with God. You're open in the Word. Listen, if you're a Moody student, go to school all day long, but don't leave out that quiet time with your Savior. I've seen so many Bible college students shipwrecked when they had talent out the wah-picking zoo. Cultivate this time alone with God. But Bill Smith came to me one time before he passed away and he said, Carl, I'm afraid I've miscommunicated to people because we've got people that have this bifurcated life. And he's the one that introduced to me this idea that some people are trying to go through this spiritual life, having a quiet time, and then hoping that the fumes of that time kind of goes along with them with God. No! No! This morning I had opportunities to listen to the Spirit of God tell me and prompt me and speak to me. Sometimes I don't have to key a mic and go, hey, God, can you help me on this one? It's like the Spirit of God's just talking to me all the time. This is how you be a leading, loving servant. There's, there's one hour of something that I did this morning for my bride that was a direct response to the Holy Spirit saying, be this man. You can be that person. You get irrigated with the Word of God. Now you've got this reservoir that the Spirit of God says, let me remind you of this. Change everything. Brother Lawrence is a man of God who wrote the book called Practicing the Presence of God. How many here have read Practicing the Presence of God? Please get a copy. I think my wife just yelled, yes. (laughs) In practicing the presence of God, Brother Lawrence says, I have found that I have sweeter times of prayer than even the scheduled times of prayer when I'm scrubbing pots in the kitchen and I hear the voice of God speak. Yes! The grace of God freeing us from this crazy performance deception. Part of the reason that the world does not believe us is because we're not believable. We can be believable when we have the power of God coursing through us as we have proximity to Jesus. Third, Enjoy how God is bearing fruit through your life and give him praise. Target was running really well. Sometimes she'd look over her shoulder and goes, these younger dogs, man, we went from Squintna up over Rainy Pass and she's like I got these hills dad I got these hills got up over Rainy Pass down into Roan Roadhouse down this Delzel Gorge and through this absolute frightful area to run a dog team at times my team was disappearing two by two dogs going off of these embankments and my sled free falling 10, 15 feet through the air. It was hair raising, man. But Target's plugging away. Got out of Roan River, went through the farewell burn, got onto the village of Nikolai and about the village of Nikolai, we're on flat ground and the team's picking up pace and I mean picking up pace big time. 
And as they're picking up speed, I'm noticing that Target's starting to get on the neckline a little bit. That means that she's not able to tug this too much here, and she's kind of getting pulled along by her neckline that's attached to her collar. And I would talk to her, and I'd say, Target girl, how you doing? How you doing? She'd look back at me like, I'm good. I'm good. We got into the village of McGrath. I stopped the team, put the snow hook in, I walked up to Target. I said, girl, I love you, but this is the end of your race. It's almost like she understood me. If a dog could cry, she would have right then. I unclipped her tug line, I unclipped her neck line, and you know what she said to me? She went, oh, she knew. Oh, she howled. Oh, I don't want to leave the team. I unclipped her from the team, and I took her to the checker, and I said, this girl's race is done. I petted her up. I said, Target, I love you. Your race is done. I got to know him. 21 days, 8 hours, 12 minutes, 32 seconds, come across the finish line, was there for about a day and a half, got in a 737, flew back home with the rest of my dogs, picked up in Anchorage, driven out to our kennel in Wasilla, Alaska. As I came around the corner, I jumped out of the passenger door and I walked out to the lot, and there was Target, just lunging, going, man, it's good to see you again. I saved her, I trained her, she ran the race well, and I'm asking you to let God save you and train you, and I need you to hear me right now, listen close. I'm asking you to let God save you and train you and run the race well. We don't know how long we have, and this performance deception needs to end. And we need to let a God that loved us enough to save us and loves us enough to train us come under his control. Not trying to prove anything to him or prove ourselves to others. May he be glorified in your life. Father, Free us from performance Christianity. Grant us today your power and grace. Help us, Lord, to have proximity with Jesus. And let us run well. I give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Have a good day.